to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by Riaz Kanani, who is the founder and CEO of Radiate B2B, an account-based advertising and marketing platform. So Riaz, thanks for joining me today. Um, for everyone listening, can you please just sort of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Radiate B2B? Yeah, really good to be here. Thanks for having me on, David. Um, so um, I'm Riaz. Um, I run Radiate B2B. Um, Radiate's been around for five years, and um, where we're focused on is really two two key things. Um, one is um, building massive brand awareness through account-based advertising, um, and and the other is figuring out what the best next action is for a sales development team. Um, and, and we came at this through this idea of ABM and and how we thought ABM was going to scale, which obviously is is part of the topic today in a way or the evolution of it um so really interested to, to dig deeper okay great and obviously like you say you know we're here today to discuss uh, buying group marketing and the possible evolution of abm um but before we get into that i'd like to just take a look at abm currently because i think the benefits of abm are really well understood you know less wasted marketing effort greater roi better customer experience so on um but where do you think that abm can can sometimes fall short yeah the the thing about ABM is it it means different things to different different companies, right? So, um, one of its strengths is it can stretch across all these different scenarios. Whether it's you know a company selling to a single company in a country and that's their you know that's their target market, right the way through to companies that are selling to thousands and thousands of companies in in the mid market, right? Um, partly that's why I think ABM has taken off in recent years is because of the latter. Right, it suddenly opened itself up to a to a bigger, broader market, better customer experience, better ROI, larger deals, they close faster. You know, all the metrics that we've seen time and time again. But the reality is, is that ABM is all about personalised, relevant marketing that we can do at scale. But there's an assumption there. Um, there's the assumption that you know your market, right? There's there's a need for you to know exactly who the participants are. Um, and what stage they're at, or what their relationship is with yourselves. And in reality, of course, the market is changing continuously. And we don't live in this idealized world where we know everything about every company um, that's a fit for our, for you know our clients um, and so forth. So as a result, where ABM isn't going to do everything and you need to bring in other things is the broader stuff, right? So whether that's using intent data to identify companies that you hadn't heard of that suddenly are researching the topics that you care about, um, which is you know what a lot of our clients will use before they even get to the advertising piece, or it's PPC or brand ads, right? Where you're going more broader than your target account list um, and, and reaching companies that might be interested. Um, and what you find out over time, of course, is that actually some of those companies that weren't interested today are new segments for tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, following on from this, is targeting an account always as targeted as it sounds? Because, you know, your account might actually have several thousand employees and, and really you obviously only need to target that handful of key decision makers in the buying group. Um, and that's yeah. obviously what leads us into this whole idea of buying group marketing, um, which seems uh, which sees sorry marketing efforts centred on a, a specific buying group as opposed to a whole account. So would you say that that's a natural evolution of ABM? And if so, why is it so important to take this approach? So for me, ABM has always been a targeted proposition. Um, um, I, I don't think you should ever be targeting the entire 
company as a whole, um, regardless. I, you know, at the end of the day, your your target account list is going to be made up of companies that fit inside the various ideal customer profiles that you have. Within that, there's going to be named stakeholders that might start off early on um, in your relationship as being a predefined persona. Um, and, you know, those those personas might be the decision makers, sure, but also the users, the managers, the influencers, the blockers, even, right? Um, targeting people outside of that, let's face it, is a complete waste of money. Um, and ABM programs are expensive enough um, and without you spending money on people you don't need to spend money on. So um, definitely, definitely the way to go. Yeah. Um, no, actually, I... actually, on that... Um, I was just thinking, um, there was some research by LinkedIn um, a while ago that actually talked about um, almost the opposite of what you're talking about in a way, which is that many, many marketers will very heavily focus on the decision makers. Um, And actually, over 80% of buyers will actually look to get feedback from people outside the decision makers, right? Those those influencers, those users, before making a decision. And so it's critical to actually not be too narrow and go to just the decision makers and not be too broad and go to people who don't really care. Um, so it's that balance, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can imagine if you're trying to target, you know, other people in the company, you might be taking sort of a broader, less personalised approach. But when you, you're focusing on your key decision makers, that's when you might be more targeted. Yeah, I, I tell you, I tell you actually, um, David. Early on, when we first started out, um, our platform couldn't um, narrow down to um, discrete personas. Um, you know, we we've always built it without using cookies or targeting type stuff. And so, when we first built it, um, we had to target entire companies. And I remember very very early on, um, you know, we targeted construction firms. And there's a nice thing about construction firms. They have very small headquarters and most of their staff are off-site on construction sites. And so it worked brilliantly. Um, but then very quickly, we then started to do campaigns that went out um, um, to retail companies. In fact, an insurance company um, is, the, is the one that comes to mind. And they've got call centers um, um, in the UK. And we remember, you know, I remember watching as, as the media spend would, would, would you know, go, go down. And we were looking at it going, well, well this one company is is really spending a lot of money um, that we're targeting. It was this insurance company who had a call centre in Leeds. Um, and, of course, that, whilst the, the campaign still delivered an ROI, um, it was a waste of money. And so we very quickly rolled out an upgrade that allowed you to basically target personas and then cut that wastage out completely type stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to, uh, you know, establishing who the buying group is and, and the personas within it, you know, how can they actually do that? What, what sort of data might you be able to use? Well, I think it boils down to two things, right? Communication and research. Um, you have to be talking to sales. You have to be talking to customer success. Um, those are the people on the ground that are having the conversations. Um, I'm a big fan of marketing, attending um, sales pitches and sales demos and, 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 you know, looking behind the curtain, so to speak. Um, and you certainly will understand a lot of the specifics because you'll get those tidbits coming through. But of course, you do need to be doing your own research as well as to, um, you know, what are the patterns that you're seeing in, in the data that you're collecting? Who's engaging and interacting with your content? Um, 
uh, and you know putting that puzzle together to then create um, that group over time yeah absolutely and once you know exactly who you're after um how do you think marketers can produce relevant content for those different individuals is tailoring content for a specific individual even feasible or is the resource required just too much yeah i think i I look at it as layers or or phases right and certainly i say it less today but um certainly several years ago um we would often see um companies viewing abm as the silver bullet right we, like this idea the, the metrics and the, and the stats are, are, are brilliant right uh, you know abm programs deliver roi they larger contract values etc cetera, etc cetera. so so it sounds amazing but when you um stop and then if you don't stop and think you can very quickly spend an awful lot of money very very quickly um and really what we the way we look at this is yes you can even in our platform personalize advertising right down to a single company or a single persona um but um in reality of course you have to come up with all of those individual pieces of content and early on in your relationship with a company you don't know if they're in market you don't know what their position is and so putting that level of heavy investment either from a content standpoint or even a research and insight standpoint um is, is dangerous because, um, you know, especially when you're building an ABM program for the first time, six months down the line, you spent all this money and those companies are not in the market to buy from you. Um, let's face it, you're, you're facing an uphill struggle. So so knowing that's why I think about it as phases. As, as companies either progress down the pipeline, you increasingly tailor content, you use things like playbooks, right? You, you know and understand what the needs of each individual persona type is. And and so you can build content that is 90% the same. And then the 10% gets personalized by sales or, or by tweaks um, within marketing that then allows you to, to more closely um, personalize the content. So a much more scalable way of approaching things. Yeah, no, definitely. I imagine it's not a case of, like you say, creating a, a specific piece of content for the, the CFO and a specific piece of content for the CEO and so on. It's about having that one core piece, let's say, and just adjusting it for each individual. And that way you're, you're still targeting people, but you're perhaps not, yeah, you're not spending all night <laughs> writing new content. That's right. And, and you know, there's always, there is always the exception, right? There, there's, you know, one of our clients is, is obviously going after quite unsurprisingly companies like Apple, right? Um, it's a big opportunity and, and they think they've got a really good chance of closing it. So, so over-investing there may make sense for them in that scenario. But for most of us, most of the time, that isn't true. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, obviously the content needs to be tailored as we've discussed, or, albeit the, you know, the extent to which you can do that is, is always questionable um but the channel the channel sorry is also um you know really important so how can we establish which channel specific individuals are operating in or perhaps what they're likely to operate in and why do you think it's so important to do that yeah i i mean thankfully we don't live in a world where we can track every individual across every channel so so to start with we don't know where individuals are um, in reality and to be honest i think that's a good thing um but um really what it's all about is first of all starting in the in the channels where you know everybody is right so so display or search um you know everybody is there that's your starting point if you like um um 
but then as time moves on and you start to build a relationship, I think of it as like a relationship curve, right? Display ads is one extreme. You're at arm's length. You know people are going to be browsing. And if you're targeting it to a persona and a company, you know eventually they're going to see it. But as that relationship gets closer and closer to you, you start to introduce and be able to create more content across more channels, whether that's email or phone or WhatsApp or even going into you know communities like Reddit, um, etc. And what you know again comes down to data and insight, right? And and for the sales team, they're doing this on the fly. Right? They they'll know that if they pick up the phone, then they're going to be more likely or less likely to have a conversation versus email or a LinkedIn message or WhatsApp. And so sales very easily are able to do that but for a marketer you're having to be much more looking into the data and then and then reacting accordingly um and and then shifting your focus no of course yeah and you know when it comes to buying group marketing or you know any form of of hyper targeted marketing yeah why do you think it is so important for marketing and sales to be fully aligned and you know on the same page because you know in fact what's the danger if they're not you know it, it's really simple. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's, it's as simple as that. The the um, the pre-ABM programs, you know, whether it's inbound marketing or, or whatever um, strategy it is, fundamentally it stopped at the point you threw something over the fence at sales. And, and um, you could get away. I'm not saying you should ever have done that, but you could get away with doing that to the extent that the that's the way the program was set up. We all know, even in those other non-ABM strategies, that sales aligned sales and marketing still did way better. The beautiful thing about account-based marketing is you don't have a choice really, because because it starts from you know the two teams sitting down and talking about what is the account list, what is the target account list, what is the market that we're going after, um, and it might not just be one, right? There'll be many across many territories for some companies. Um, but then it doesn't stop once marketing. I mean, it's event season, right? Um, um, I'm going to multiple events a week. And it's always interesting to me how long companies take to follow up after an event. Is it a day? Is it a week? Sometimes two weeks. Um, but you also start to see, well, how coordinated are their sales and marketing, right? So I'm getting a sales message. And then a day later, I'm getting the exact same message, but in a marketing formatted email. Um um, saying the same thing again. Now, clearly, there's not much alignment between sales and marketing there, um, and and that's the 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 reason is that as you progress through the pipeline and you build closer and broader relationships within a business, you need that coordination um, and agreement as to you know what's going to work best in these stages and scenarios. And that could be a playbook that's scalable, or it could be right down to the individual account. It just depends on the strategy you're taking. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, everyone I, I ever speak to is, is always kind of saying how important is sales marketing to be aligned on the same page. And in fact, I think in some ways, it's it's almost questionable whether there should be two departments anymore. They're, they're all working <laughs> towards the same goal. Um, but do you think that they should share metrics or do you think that both sales and marketing should kind of operate according to their separate targets that they're actually accountable for? I so, so I've got into the debate of sales and marketing coming together many, many times, and and, and my views have shifted over over um, over time. Um, I think for me, sales is looking after the near term, and marketing is looking after the long term and the near term. 
Um, and so because you have that near-term focus for both groups, yes, you need shared metrics. Um, and, and one of the, you know, if you go back 10, 15 years, you know, when, when marketing automation was growing, we set out all these three-letter acronyms, right? MQLs, SALs, SQLs. Um, and, and at the time, it felt like the right thing to do because it brought sales and marketing together around this combined framework. But in reality, over time, what's happened is those definitions of grade and, 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 and lost their meaning a little bit, and certainly they've been divergent. Um, and ABM allows you to basically come together on an agreed set of metrics that allow you to deliver a specific account to the right place at the right time. So that could be, you know, at this stage we've agreed it goes to sales development. At this stage, they're going to get a DM piece or, or whatever, right? When we see some intent from an account, they're going to get X. Um, and so you've got those shared metrics, but marketing does still have to look at the longer term and the bigger, broader picture. And so for me, the com I, I like the, the, the sort of ABM, um, it's, it's, I think it's really the standard today of the three R's, right? Reputation, relationships, and revenue, that bigger, broader picture um, that I think are very marketing orientated in reality. Sales will, will have some visibility or interest in some of them, but primarily that's still marketing. Yeah, of course. And bringing it back to buying group marketing, you know, what kind of results do you think it can deliver? You know, presumably greater ROI, but what about those sort of contributing factors, things like CX, renewals, sales cycles, so on? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it obviously creates greater ROI and, and it will accelerate the pipeline. Um, and, and we see that um, it's going, you know, by being that laser focused down to that, that buying group, you're, you're going to be much greater likelihood of not just getting them to engage initially with you but also they're much more likely to convert to a demo they're much more likely to turn into an opportunity and when they do we see the contract values on average being much much higher um, and so all of that definitely um, custom experience you know Yes, because you're targeting the right people, but actually you should be doing that anyway. So I don't think that changes. The, the thing that's different is that the people that are irrelevant to you in that buying um, group are no longer seeing marketing and, or advertising. And, and in reality, when you see advertising that is not relevant to you, you don't see it, um, if that makes sense. So, so it doesn't change that to, to a greater degree. Um, renewals, uh, for me, the renewal side, you know, as you're coming up and, and towards that renewal, putting advertising in front of them, that increases hygiene and security and safety absolutely can make a difference, um, whether that's BGM or, or, or ABM um, um, sort of thing. So, so all of that will help. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, what it boils down to is it really is all about customer experience anyway, the buying experience rather at the end of the day you get that right everything else falls into place yeah no absolutely like you say and you know buying group marketing sounds you know sounds very glamorous um but do you think it's just a rebranding of abm or, or do you think there's a clear distinct difference there just looking for your your honest thoughts on it <laughs> for for me i mean we we come out this from the perspective that that is it is abm right it, it is the way it should be done it should be um thoughtful 
where it should be that the, the, the account is at the center and, and you understand who the buying group is and you are putting together a plan that allows you to target um, that buying group. So for, for us, yeah, it, it's the way it should be. Yeah, completely, completely fair enough. And this my final question for you, and this kind of circles back to something we sort of touched upon right at the beginning. Um, but do you think that targeting such a small group of decision makers might actually have some downsides? Um, you know, for instance, if you've put all that effort into targeting, let's say, you know, three key decision makers um, and your attempts to win their business are still unsuccessful, um, that, you know, that seems like quite a lot of wasted effort and therefore, you know, money. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so first thing is you really shouldn't be targeting just decision makers. Um, you need to be targeting a broader group than that. The decision makers are absolutely important. If you, if you don't get the decision makers on side, you're, you know, you're in trouble. But you do not control um, everything the decision maker hears. And so you have to go broader. You have to go to the, the influencers, whether that's the users who are going to use your, your product or the, the implementers, if, you, if you've got to have your product implemented, to procurement, to the managers, you know, anybody who could be involved. I mean, I think we've all heard the, the stats around the number of stakeholders um, um, in a um, buying process today and how it's been rising and rising year on year. I, I haven't seen stats for a couple of years now, but I think it hit 8.6, that 0.6 of a stakeholder, whoever that happens to be on average. Um, so so you've got to understand that broader group. But I think, you know, I think to your point around, around um, you put all that effort in and, and, you know, it's unsuccessful, even if you're targeting that broader buying group, that's still a risk and and you know abm strategies can really suffer when you think of it as a as like a hundred meter race right it's not a sprint it's a marathon and and in the same way as a marathon you can go too early right if you go too early you're gonna run out of pace and you're never gonna get to the end so so you've got to um invest the right amounts of time and effort into the right stage of your relationship with these accounts and then as the relationships build and as you start to see milestones hit, the investment increases, maybe more people get involved within your business, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I guess there's also that challenge as well around actually establishing who the real decision makers and, and influencers are. Because if you imagine for a second, Radiate yeah. B2B diversifies and you start selling skateboards. Um, yep. Good dad, <laughs> yeah, let's say a weird analogy for you, but let's say you've got a dad and his son. The dad is the decision maker. He's got the keys to the card or the rest of it. But you're probably yep. not going to be focusing on your advertising efforts on him, are you? You're going to be selling it to the, the son in That's that right. relationship. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, though, though that might break some laws, but but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, Riaz, thank you very much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, if people want to find out more about Radiate B2B and, and uh, all the great stuff you do, where, where should they head? Um there's obviously the website radiateb2b.com um i do live on linkedin quite a lot and so you're more than welcome to connect with me there have a conversation with me there um always happy to to chat to people on, on abm and buy a marketing fantastic well we'll leave it there thank you very much and thanks to uh, our audience as well for listening we'll see you again soon bye bye